Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, Season 2, Episode 1. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Restory Show, and I'm on today with Kristen Brugerman, and she is awesome, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. So, welcome, Kristen, to the Restory Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. So, Kristen and I met this last year. So, within the last year, she was crazy enough to have me come speak to writers outside of Geneva, and it was a really great experience. I guess that's. I, you've told me how we kind of connected before that or how you found me, but how did that happen? Okay, so I'm an aspiring author, and I follow Rochelle Gardner's blog, agent blog, and she you know, raved about you several times, and I read some of your books. And so when I was putting together the school, I just thought, like, that's somebody I want to have. And so then you're like forced to become my friend and it was really great. <laughs> forced to because it was such a sacrifice. It was a huge sacrifice. <laughs> and we had did we have uh, we had fondue at your house and that was really yes. yummy and so we had a really good time. So um Kristen tell me a little bit about before we kind of get into this interview I just need to know a little bit about your story like growing up and how you met Christ and how you met your husband and that you have people in your house and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of a long question, but tell us a little bit about you. Okay. I moved around a lot as a kid. Um, I think I counted once and I moved 12 times before I graduated high school. Wow. So yeah. And I come from a broken home. My, um, my parents divorced when I was four and my mom is amazing. Like both, both my parents are amazing. It's, you know, it's not like one's good and one's bad, but right. um, I, I remember, um, sleeping in my like Care Bear sleeping bag on the floor of a computer lab at Colorado State University while my mom got her degree. Um, and she became a communications engineer working like on, I, I don't know, top secret stuff. So um, we moved around a lot for her job. It was project-based, doing defense contracts here and there. And as far as faith, like at times, um, I grew up, my mom was a Christian, but we moved so much. And when I was around nine, we moved to California. And that's kind of when my my family stopped going to church. And I, I was sort of a very, I wasn't an only child, but I was a very lonely child because I was always shy and my sister, my sister was beautiful and popular and we would move somewhere. And like the first day we'd go to that school, suddenly she's the most popular girl in school and everyone wants to be her friend. And I was, I don't know. I wasn't like that. It was hard. Moving was really hard for me. I had a hard time making friends. We didn't have family around and my mom worked a 12 hour day was average. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, and she had to travel for her job as well. So we were left to our own devices quite a lot. 
I think when I think about like how has God restored me and like what, what was really the, the darkest points that the Lord has redeemed in my life. I kind of, I think back to this like 12 year old girl, um, downing a bottle of pills hmm. and I tried to take my life three times while I was 12. Um, which is not normal at that age. Mm-hmm. It's not normal at any age, but yeah, I was just so lonely and so depressed and, you know, being left alone so much, we encountered, you know, abuse and things like that. Um, that happens to children who are alone a lot. Yes. <laughs> and I think back to that time and I don't think that I wanted to die, even though I did attempt suicide. Um, well, yeah, I attempted suicide. I think it was more a cry for help. I just, I really so desperately wanted somebody to know how much I was hurting and to care and to intervene, but there was nobody to know and to notice. Um, so I would down a bottle of pills and be sick for several days. And it was like, okay, you're sick, stay home from school. And then I stay home by myself. And but at the same time, I didn't ever, yeah, I didn't ever express this is what's going on in my heart. I just desperately needed someone to see how much my soul was bleeding. And there wasn't anyone to see that. So very lonely, I guess a little bit after I was still 12 when I started using drugs. And I think back to it now. And I, I think in a way, not that I recommend people to use drugs, but it almost, it almost saved my life because those teenage years, I really numbed myself. I was almost always high. I was 14 when the doctor told me, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to get um, a stomach ulcer, you know, within the next year. Um, So I I was pretty out of control, numbed myself to all the pain. I just couldn't see beyond it. I couldn't see that there would be anything light or happy about my life. And then when I was 18, I had sort of a miraculous conversion. Were you finished with high school at this point? I was finished with high school. Okay. I was just about to turn 19. I was in a relationship with an (laughs) (laughs) ex-convict. Of course you were. (laughs) He wasn't a really nice guy. Um, He wasn't violent, but he wasn't a nice guy. Probably not. No, probably not. He isolated me from my friends. Mm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a healthy relationship. And I started to feel, um, he started to talk about when we're at the mall, like, let's go look at engagement rings. And I was like, if you ask me, I'm, I'm going to say no. I didn't want to be bound like that. And um, when I decided to break up with him, I kind of really hit rock bottom. Um, he was stalking me, turning up at my job, waiting outside my house, watching me. It was, it was kind of scary. And I had isolated myself from my friends, so I didn't have anybody, anybody around. And it was a really big low point in my life. And one day I was um, driving down the road and um, I wouldn't say I heard the audible voice of God, but I, I had maybe a, it was a voice. It was a really strong thought that was not my own thought that said, you need to go to church. And something in my spirit just said, that's, that's what I need. That's where I can go to find help. And on the side of the road where I was stopped at the traffic light, there was a sign for this church, Christian Fellowship Church. And I went there that Sunday and I sat in the back and I kind of felt super awkward. And then I went back the next Sunday and I saw that they had a um, Bible study for 
seekers and new believers. So I, you know, found out who the person was who was leading it. And she gave me this great big hug and it was super awkward. And I'm like, <laughs> don't touch me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I started going to this Bible study and I started going to church. And this one day in my, in my room by myself, I just wondered what would happen if I prayed. And um, I had never prayed before um, since maybe since I was, you know, a seven or eight year old child. And um, I just started to pray and it was also super awkward because I didn't, know how to pray and never had. And suddenly the Holy Spirit just came upon me and I found myself um, weeping and crying and asking God to forgive my sins. And um, there was like this miraculous healing of my addictions. I never used drugs again. Yeah. For several, for several years after that, I never drank alcohol, stopping cigarettes. It took me, it took me a bit, but then there was the whole process of, I still had all this, you know, broken view of my self worth. And so there was like the instantaneous healing, but then there was the long process of discipleship and working through my issues with the Lord over the next several years. I was thinking, I was thinking about this today, that moment as a 12 year old trying to take my own life because I couldn't see a future for myself. Less than a year after I became a Christian, I was in Africa doing a discipleship training school with Youth with the Mission and it was this great adventure. And since then, I've been to I've been to thirty or more countries. So I've just had this I don't know this life that's just been an adventure and a life that I never saw myself having, but that I've gotten to have because of what the Lord's done in my life. So it was a year after. How did you find YWAM, or how did that even happen? You're like randomly driving, and then you saw a sign on the side of the road. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I had, okay, I had this really great pastor at this church. Um, I mean, I don't think it was a coincidence that that's where my car was stopped, you know. I had this great pastor who really took me under his wing, he and his family, and they discipled me, and they taught me how to hear God's voice and how to pray. We were looking at, should the church, it was a young adults ministry, should should we do some kind of missions trip? And I was the one in charge of like doing the research for it. And, and as I was looking into it and praying about it, um, whenever I was praying about it, like I felt like God speaking to me about me going and doing missions. And I had really specific, like weird specific things. I heard Kenya. I heard six months, um, a learning experience. I heard the specific city, Mombasa, um, that I was to go in September, and I had never heard of um, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. But when I went to my pastor and I said, you know, these are the things that I kind of hear God saying to me. What do you think? Would you pray about it? And he's like, that sounds like YWAM. And it turns out he and his family had pioneered YWAM's work in Slovakia some years before they came back to the States as pastors. And um, it turned out that YWAM was running a six month DTS program in Mombasa, Kenya, starting that September. <laughs> so that's, that was the answer. Wow. That was the answer. That's how I, that's how I ended up there. Yeah. And I've been in YWAM basically since then that was in 2001. Wow. And so then how did you meet your husband? Also in YWAM. So funny thing, our, our stories kind of, in some ways they really, uh, are parallel in some ways they're very contrasting. So he comes from, you know, this big happy family, you know, love the Lord, 
all his siblings have done missions work of some kind, um, which is not very normal because he's from Belgium where, you know, hardly anybody is Christian and nobody yeah. attends church. That's crazy. That's so unusual. Yeah. Um, so his mom became a Christian and then his dad set out to prove that she was a fool and that Christianity wasn't true and did all this research and then had to admit that, well, you're actually right. (laughs) (laughs) So he was raised in this family. Um, but when I, like at the exact time I was going to Kenya for my DTS, he went to Bolivia for his. So we both kind of go to these like weird, you know, random bush places. We're both very adventurous. And so I met him in Switzerland. We were doing both doing courses at the same facility, like where you came to speak. It was a bit more busy back then. There were, you know, maybe 50, 60 students at a time. And I I kind of thought he was a bit of a bad boy. Like he had dreadlocks and, you know, he would kind of like sit in the back with his arms crossed and like, really, you know, brooding and serious. And I was like, oh, he's trouble. But, um, but it turns out he was just a bit shy himself. <laughs> and um, so we got to know each other. We became friends. And while we were um, the next quarter there, it was a smaller group. There were only 10 of us. And we had a speaker, a leader at that time, who was all about, like, before you get married, you need to know what's really important to you. Think about the things that cause most marriages to break up and know what your values are. You know, if you don't like children, don't marry someone who wants 10 kids, mm-hmm. you know, um, finances, where do you want to live? How do you see your future going? And as we would talk about that and process that as a group of students, there were several times that, I don't know, it's like we just could go the same way. Um, we had similar values. We wanted the same things. We're both super adventurous. We both felt like God had called us into missions specifically with the area of media and communications. So um, we became really good friends, and then you became more. (laughs) How long before, uh, when you started dating, before he asked you to marry him? It was pretty short, only four months. Oh, that was fast. But we really didn't start dating until we were like 90% sure that that's where we were were going. And then how much longer after that did you get married? Um, Let's see, we got engaged in June, and we got married the following April. Okay. So that's not so bad. And where did you get married? Okay. So <laughs> I know there's always of, a story with everything. Yeah. So one kind of cool thing, cause you know, cross cultural marriage, I got to spend three months during our engagement in Belgium, which was super helpful. And then he spent a few months of our engagement here in Colorado and, um, we got married in Colorado and then we had a big party celebration in Belgium as well. Nice. So I got to wear my wedding dress twice. Hey, that's cool. You should just put it on now for old time's sake. You know, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it would still fit. And so once you were married, um, what kind of places did you end up adventuring to? And I know that you've had a few kids too in the middle of that. We, um, right after we got married, we went and spent three months in South Africa, um, where he did some video production training and I did like a Bible course, South Africa for three months. Um, we lived in Hawaii for a few years. We worked with the big youth of the mission campus there. As a family, we spent six months. It was when we had three kids, we spent six months in Nigeria running a, a program to train um, Christian communicators, video producers, designers, writers um, about how to 
kind of effectively speak into culture. We were like right where the division is between Islam and Christianity. And there were bombs <laughs> like every, every Sunday. It was a pretty bad time there. There were bombs going off like every Sunday morning at, a, at different churches. And it was one of those things you want to make sure you really heard God's voice. And then, yeah, three years in Switzerland. I guess one of the trips that we did when we had just one daughter, we did we uh, went to Argentina and Bolivia. So I got to kind of see a place that was really formative for him. And then now we're moving to Belgium. <laughs> yes, and this is the greatest adventure ever. Okay, so now tell us how many kids you have and uh, what kind of kids they are, because I think they're all the same, right? Yeah, I have four daughters. <laughs> yeah, no boys. No boys. And May is our birthday month. So Wow. I had one birthday today, and then um, this month they'll become nine, seven, five, and then my youngest is in August. She'll she's she'll be turning three. Wow! And they're all just totally cute. I just love them. They're awesome. So your story when you when I was talking to you and your husband about uh, moving to Belgium, you showed me pictures of this house. <laughs> I'm not sure how to say it. And it had like no plumbing and there's no bathroom and it was a certain amount of money and God just provided. So tell a little bit about that story. Cause I love it. Okay. Um, so when God kind of, we were living in Switzerland, we thought we would be there a long time. We hadn't, you know, we hadn't intended to say, okay, three years and we're done. We were there three and a half years, I guess. But I have to backtrack a little bit. When when I was engaged to Martin and I spent those few months in Belgium, there was this moment. His um, his brother is married to a lady from South Africa. And the two of us were in Ghent, which is the city where he comes from. And we were kind of enjoying this beautiful summer day. And at the waterfront, there are all these young people come and have their lunch there from the university and hang out by the river. And she said something. She said, it's, it's crazy to think about it. If you look around at all these faces and there are thousands of people, she said, statistically, you and I are the only Christians here. Wow. Because it's like 0.2% mm. church attendance in Belgium. And that's the Catholic and the Protestant churches. It's, wow. it's very, very low. That's worse so than France. It's, it's worse than France. Yeah. It's, it's one of the lowest in Europe. And there was just this moment where I felt like my heart just cracked open and, and it was just one of those one of those split seconds that maybe someone said something just in passing, but I really carried that with me. And we had prayed for several years if God would send us to Belgium as missionaries, and the answer was always no. So we're in Switzerland and we're settled and our kids are, you know, going to school and they speak French and they have friends and Swiss people are not generally the most open and welcoming, especially in a little farming village, but people were so open and welcoming to us, you know, and so God starts speaking to us about leaving. Uh. And, <laughs> and, um, but when he says Belgium, it's like, okay, because there's that, there's that vision. There's that, um, heart piece of these are people who have so much wealth, but have no purpose in their lives. And, teen suicide, which is obviously a, a topic for me, um, one of the highest rates of teen suicide in the world because they don't have God. And so we're praying about it. We're praying as a family. Our kids are praying. And um, we kind of set aside a cup, like an hour every Sunday to just listen to God as a family and say, what does he want to say to us? And then we took a scouting trip um, and we had been looking online at houses. We had 
kind of in our prayer times as a family, these specific area within Belgium that we thought we were supposed to go. And um, so there was this house. It was a hundred thousand euros, which is not very much money, hmm. you know. It's a steal. It's a steal. <laughs> and um, we knew, like you could see from the pictures, okay, this is a house that needs a lot of work. But we got there and we looked around and both of us just felt like this really um, heavy piece, just like, this is right. Um, there was the moment when I asked the man who was showing us the house, it was his elderly parents, um, had just moved to a nursing home and they were selling the home. Yeah, imagine being 80 years old and having an outhouse. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> in, in Western Europe. <laughs> so... I'm like, so where's the bathroom? And he says, oh, there isn't one. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I must have, I must have said something wrong because I'm speaking French. I'm like, I've, you know, what are the different ways I can think of of how you can ask where's the bathroom? <laughs> no, there wasn't one. But Martin's very handy; he can put in the bathroom. Yeah. And so we thought this is this is the house, and we we took a day to pray about it, and we felt for sure this is it. So when we um when we wrote them and said we would like to make an offer on the house, we didn't hear from them for a couple of days. And then when he wrote us back, he said, we've sold the house to somebody else. And so that's just one of those moments where you go, okay, was that really you guys? Did we really hear your voice about that? Because we were so sure. And a few months went by and we looked at other houses and nothing felt right. And nothing, there was never that same sense of, yes, this is what it's supposed to be. And in November, I think, was it the week that you were? Yeah. It, it was the week that you were in Switzerland. Um, we got an email from them saying, so the people who bought the house, their loan didn't go through and the house is back on the market. And if you want it, it's yours. And by the way, we've cut 10,000 euros from the price. Um, I think it was like 112 before and we got it for a hundred. And so the last few months we've been raising the money and we didn't know where it was going to come from. And, um, you know, you've seen God provide for you all your adult life, but you've never had to believe for that much money before. And of course, God was faithful and um, we signed the papers last Friday. That is amazing. Yeah. And now your husband's there for a month and he's putting in a bathroom and I just keep praying for him because I'm so excited that you're going to have a bathroom. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> Well, and plus, I mean, it must have been stressful because of what's gone on at the airport, you know, and, and all the, you know, the terrorist attacks and all of that. Was he able to get to fly in there or did he have to fly in somewhere else? He flew in there. Yeah, they have flights going in. You just, I think you have to walk, you have to walk like over a kilometer to get to and from the airport. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're working really hard to, to get things up and running, but yeah. I hear you. Wow, what an amazing story. And so pretty soon, when when will you go back to your toileted house? <laughs> <laughs> we are moving at the end of June. Okay, cool. Wow. So by the time this podcast airs, you may be on Belgian soil. Yes. That's really, really exciting. And I just love, I love stories like this because it encourages me. I'm a worry wart and I wish I wasn't. And, uh, I pray a lot because there's so many, you know, things to pray for. And I remember you guys and I think of you and I think, well, okay, if they can buy a house for a hundred thousand euros with no toilets and God can provide, then he can provide for us too. <laughs> yeah. 
So I think that's, it's really uh, encouraging to me. You may not know it or you may not see it because you're in the middle of it, but other people I think around you are seeing it and they're being encouraged by your faith. That's nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I don't always feel like I'm full of faith. I, I feel like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> Which I, when I look back, you know, at, at the years that I've walked with God, the, the things that I've done that really are the most memorable to me now in those moments, I, I'm freaking out. I'm like, Oh, you know, God, are you really, are you really going to be there when I need you? And he is, but for some reason I, I always in that moment think, Oh no, what now? This is going to be the one time he doesn't yeah. show up. Yeah. Oh, I'm so there. I'm with you right now. Awesome. So as you look, okay, so if you, let's say there's someone in the Restory show audience who's going through transition because that's what you're doing right now. What kind of advice would you give to someone with a family going through transition? I would say um, when, when life feels really overwhelming, the best thing that you can do is to pray every day and say, God, what would you have me do today? You can't carry everything, the whole process on your shoulders. It becomes too heavy a burden. But you can just say, what, what is my, what is my today? Mm -hmm. And God gives you grace for that. Yeah. He doesn't give you grace for four days from now, but he does give you grace for this day. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's a good word. And so the last question is, um, how would you say that God has restoried your life looking back on your life? I would say when I, when I think back to those really dark moments, when I was too young to understand, like, this too shall pass. And I didn't think that there was a future. I would say that when you walk with God, he gives you the desires of your heart. I, I read this um, quote recently. I, I, sorry, I don't know who, who wrote it, but um, it said, depression may be a cloud, but you are the sky. And so these dark moments of our lives, like they're moments and God is bigger than that. That's so true. And so important as we process, you know, these crazy things that we're going through and just Yes, I think everybody needs to hear that. It's just a cloud, but God's the sky, and He's got all of this under control, and your whole life is so much bigger than one negative moment, and you're not defined by that one negative moment. But I think a lot of us get stuck. We get stuck in that place, and uh, I know I do, and it, it's good to remind myself again of the faithfulness of God and then to go to prayer and ask Him to help me through. So I love your story. I'm so grateful that you're willing to share it. And I think a lot of people are going to resonate with it on different levels and in different ways. And so thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on the Restory Show and sharing vulnerably and authentically about what you've been going through. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mary. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to marydemuth.com Restory 2-1. And may you live a brand new story this week. The Restory Show is all about community, and I want you to have the opportunity to tell your amazing story. All you have to do is click the gray box on the upper right-hand side of marydemuth.com, and it says, Share Your Story. You have up to two minutes to tell us what's going on in your life and to share an encouraging story with the Restory Show listeners. And now, let's listen to a new story. Hi, Mary. My name is Jennifer. I'm a social worker, a therapist, and I've been in the field for 23 years. I was born into a family, um, an alcoholic family, um, the youngest child, and I too was molested as a result of 
just being in a family where my parents couldn't always keep an eye on me. My mom almost became an alcoholic, um, suffering from major depression. Major depression caught up with me as well in my first marriage. And um, I um, literally went downhill for about 10 years. Um, however, I thrived and I really held on tight to the Lord and I began to seek Him. And in my seeking Him, I found Him. That's what he, His Word says. He says uh, that we, we will do. We will find Him if we seek Him and He will show us mighty things. So, and I guess, you know, my my, my story stems from, you know, being in a, um, a very jaded, shaded person who married a, a domestic a violence uh, person, a person who was an abuser, emotionally and physically and mentally, to um, becoming a woman of God in my fullness and walking away from that and having the courage to walk away from that marriage. And I, I it, it led to me writing my own book, um, uh, figuring out how to um, counsel people and be a counselor and a social worker despite my own brokenness and my own failures and the things that I felt like I had not accomplished. Uh, today I'm remarried and uh, restored, <laughs> but I'm, I'm grateful for who the Lord is in my life and my new relationship with my new husband and my best friend. And there's so much more to tell, but um, I wrote a book about uh, who I am today. Um, and, and some of the things I suffered, it's called Red Sea Situations, Finding Courage in the Deep Seas of Life. And um, just wanted to let you know.